Well, today we are looking at something that um, I woke up saying this and had this thought in my mind. We kind of started it on Wednesday night at the, uh, in our Bible study. But it's skepticism, optimism, and faith. <laughs> skepticism, optimism, and faith. Now, how do people approach the Bible? How do you approach the Bible? Uh, of course, uh, you can't believe everything you hear on TV, whether it be from a, uh, se- seemingly a, a Bible preacher or from <laughs> the Discovery Channel <laughs> or from all the things that come across. But uh, we believe that the Bible, you know, we, we don't believe things that come either for or against it. We have to look at it, and sometimes people are misguided, and sometimes information is misinterpreted. So the Bible itself is infallible. It is infallible. And it is a historical text. People, there are those who um, fight against it, literally, that the Bible is not to be taken literal. And the um, individuals written in the book, the people, times and period, time periods and so on, cities and so on, they've, they've fought for, you know, the last hundred years trying to say that what's in the Bible and the the um, geographic locations and Jericho and all these places uh, really didn't exist and they don't uh, match up with what the archaeologists uh, and their discoveries claim to not match up with the Bible. Well, and we find that what is really important is that in today's modern um, analogies and modern looking at the, the scriptures and looking at the cities, and especially such as Jericho, they've proven that it did happen, and it happened the way that's stated in the Bible. And the person who, in the 50s, who claimed that Jericho was, um, uh, it was destroyed before the children of Israel ever got there, you know, all those types of things come across. Even the one, (laughs) I think of this, where do people come up with this? They come up with the, the, the tomb of Jesus and Mary Magdalene, you know, that, that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene, and they found their tomb. Well, they found a couple of bones that were a man, and they found a few bones that were a woman, and they immediately jumped to the conclusion, this is, and they, they uh, I think it was the Discovery Channel, put it out there as, this is, you know, proven thing that these, this bones were the bones of Jesus. It was a family tomb. It's... It's a little ridiculous. (laughs) We find that people can make these horrendous accusations against the scripture, and they're just dismissed. But whenever you have a Christian archaeologist who is looking at the text and looking at what's going on in the scripture and in their digs that they perform, they have to be extremely uh, thorough in what they they do and document things um, to the point of, levels of inches in, in, the, in the dirt in order to make sure that what they are coming up with fits the time period uh, specific to what the Bible says. Now, we think of the resurrection. Resu- the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most documented events in, in history. <laughs> you say, well, wait, you know, the, doc- the resurrection of Jesus? Yes. Now, not only do we have Josephus and other uh, historians that write about this, but even if you look at the scripture and look at the character of the individuals, you have an immediate change in the followers of Jesus. 
they change immediately. It doesn't something, you know, they went to the tomb to find a dead body, and they, you know, they found a resurrected Savior. There was a change in Jesus. <laughs> you know, there was no doubt that he was crucified, but the, the, the one that the people saw, touched, and heard was, was a, a real person. 500 seen him at one occasion. He, uh, all the disciples, they were martyred, except one, John, um, the John the Beloved. They were all martyred for the, their faith in Jesus. People aren't going to die <laughs> for a, a uh, hoax. They put their life on the line. Roman guards, the Roman guards that guarded the tomb, they should have been executed because they said that they were overpowered by 11 men and a couple of women. <laughs> they were overpowered, and they came and stole the body of Jesus. Well, if that were true, they would have been executed because the law of the Romans was if you lose the body or the person that you're assigned to, you die. Well, they didn't die. They, they propagated the, the fallacy that the body was stolen. Saul of Tarsus is the, the latter one, and then we go on to the empty tomb. So, <clears throat> when we look at these things, <clears throat> they are presented to us. And the first thing I think of is a skeptic. Um, a skeptic is one who is not easily convinced, having doubts or reservations, cynicism, disbelief, uncertain distrust. Now, is it wrong to have questions? No. What we're looking at here is whenever a person is a skeptic, uh, a person who questions the validity and the authenticity of something alleged to be factual. So, one of the things that we look at here, I think of it as being skeptical of what people say that contradicts what you already know. Now, um, a skeptic in this situation has an attitude of questioning, an attitude of disbelief and doubt about everything. You know, I doubt that the sun's going to shine much longer today. It's probably going to rain. If it's raining, it's probably going to rain to the point of uh, you know, a flood. And if there's not a flood, you know, we'll have a drought. Things are not going to be good. <laughs> you know, skepticism goes beyond just having questions. And I think that the uh, Genesis chapter uh, 3, verse 1, one of, the, one of the early skeptics was the serpent. He said that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, any, any of the animals, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Hath God said? Did, let's create a little doubt here. And so a skeptic is in um, looking at life from a perspective of doubt, disbelief, and anything that is considered factual. So they are, um, they are looking at it from a position that God can't do anything good, and there's no God in the picture. So the characteristic of a pessimistic personality. A pessimistic, a pessimistic is a negative outlook towards life. Now, I kind of put skeptics and uh, pessimists in, in, in the same, same category here. Someone who tends to notice the negative things in life. Are you really going to wear that today? <laughs> do you really think it's going to do any good? Do you really think that things are going to change? Do you really think that it makes a difference? 
You know, a pessimist is always looking for the bad thing. No matter how much good is there, there's still something bad or something wrong. A pessimist believes that everything is and will continue to be negative, that it will affect every area of his life, and so far as believing that everything is his fault. So when a, when a, when a pessimist really is a full-fledged pessimist, it's their fault. And I, you know, I, I remember counseling this one guy, um, and I, I know, he was, he's extremely pessimistic. He says, I said, do you ever think of getting up off of the floor, basically? He says, well, I, I sat on a stool once, getting better, and I fell off and fell on the floor, so I don't sit on a stool anymore. True. And, and this was back in the, and he says, well, you know, I created the Vietnam War. I, I started it. I mean, it, it's brand him as a pessimist. You know, things are wrong. Things will never be good. You know, his wife divorced him, and who wouldn't, you know? Uh, he, but he grew up in a terrible environment. He talked about being, uh, rolling up in a rug in the wintertime, so he didn't get, that was his, where he didn't freeze to death. You know, there was no heat in the house he grew up in, and so he rolled up in the rugs to stay warm. You know, so sometimes... People come by their personalities uh, legitimately. But he was a, a terrible, I mean, in the whole sense, nothing was good, nothing was ever going to be good, and there was no need to try and be better. But he liked to come and talk to me to try and convince me that he was right. <laughs> so, so am I a pessimist? Well, a pessimist refuses to see the good in the people. Well, a pessimist, sometimes it's not always the way someone tells it. So being, being pessimistic is you're, you're going to try the things. You're going to look at things and see if they really um, match up or they don't match up. So wanting to know the truth and seeking after the truth and not taking everything at face value, that's okay. But the, the <laughs> a pessimist then is someone who just everything's wrong, everything's going to continue to be wrong, and it's all my fault. The next one is realist. A realism is an approach to life that means dealing with the way things are. Now, it would be like saying, a realist would be saying, you know, the church needs painted. Okay. And believing that it will never get painted. <laughs> and that no one will ever, you know, buy the paint. No one will ever be able to put the paint on. And that's just the way it is. Well, what if I buy the paint and paint it? Well, that's not a realist. <laughs> one, one individual, um, a man, you know, and, and I know, he, he loved his wife, and he and his wife were very close, and they did everything together. Well, she died. And he refused to acknowledge that life could ever be good again. Now, in initially in grief, that's normal. But after about four or five years, that's just a flat, he says, I'm a realist. Things are never going to be good, and I refuse to believe that anything will ever be good again. And he was, that was true. You see, life ends in death, therefore, I want to die. Okay, that's a realist. Pessimism and realism are both learned behaviors. People learn to take on these characteristics. You know, you know what a pessimist is? It's a realist with experience. That's a joke. So, <laughs> so we're, we... we People that are in these categories 
don't allow areas of gray. So, so when we're saying, well, can I ever be pessimistic? Of course. Can I ever be a realist? Yes. You know, if you stand in the middle of the street long enough and you don't move, eventually you're going to get hit. The real, that's a realist, okay? So be smart enough to move. You know, not. human personality is made up of layer upon layer upon layer. You didn't get this way overnight. <laughs> you know, you're not the way you are just because you woke up this morning. It's been a lifetime of experiences that have brought you to this point in establishing your personality and your belief. Then one more is a fatalist. A person who believes that events are decided by fate and cannot be controlled by an action. That um, life is set and we have no choices. You're going to live, you're going to die. You know, I remember um, driving in, in Israel, I've, I've said this before, in a cab. I was in the cab. And um, the guy, you know, he's flying across these streets. You know, we're going through the alley and the streets are going the other way. And he's just flat out flying, doesn't stop, doesn't slow down, whatever. And it's like, you're going to slow down? No, all the wheels, all the wheels. You know, it's going to be what it'll be. I don't have to stop. If I'm supposed to die, I will. I said, well, maybe you want to die, but I don't. You know? <laughs> so that idea of a fatalist, that nothing can change. Um, like if I refuse to study, I eventually will fail the test. If you stand in the middle of the road, you will find yourself hit. So a, a fatalist believes you are destined by fate and your decisions really don't matter. Psalm 14, 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. You see, all of these, these characteristics are based upon the person and them alone. They don't have an understanding that God is there with them. And so we, the whole thing picture, the whole thing changes whenever we see God involved in our life. Um, Murphy's Law. Anybody know what Murphy's Law thing is? Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. <laughs> and, it is, and in the extended form, anything that can go wrong will go wrong and, it, and at the worst possible time. Um, the second Murphy's Law is nothing is as easy as it looks. The third is everything takes longer than you think it will. So those are Murphy's Laws. So this, there is a need then for a healthy skepticism. A healthy skepticism is a curiosity. What is the truth? Searching for the truth. Learning and teaching and discovering and, and, and you know, um, I always use the idea of a metaphor, we, w the metaphor of a table. You put all the information on the table and you begin to sort it out and get to pick and choose all those things that fit and will fit into your life and you can make choices about them. A fatalist says you have no choice, just throw it off the table and just go. Pessimist says they're all wrong, they're all no good. <laughs> they're not going to work. Uh, and, you know, so we see how people's approach to life determines basically their outlook how that they're going to fail or succeed, what they're going to believe or not believe. So what about the optimist? Well, sounds pretty good, being an optimist. Well, again, optimism without God. So an optimistic person sees the positive side of things, 
but they also believe they have the skill and the ability to make things happen. So whenever we say all things are going to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, that's not being an optimist. An optimist says, I am going to make things work to the good because I really don't believe in God. You know, so uh, being the, the, the optimistic character trait. All right. So um, an example of optimistic person is one who chooses to believe there is always tomorrow. You know, you know I always remember um, there was a professor who um, used the book, what was it? Og Mandino's book. Oh, what is that? Yeah. The Greatest Salesman in the World. And I, I, I liked that book. I, I used it. I, I, I preached on it and whatever. Because everything that was in, was in there, I turned and found scriptures for about hav having very optimistic and looking for the good and all that. But it wasn't based upon that. So this, this professor taught this. And he was the greatest thing going. I mean, he was 100% into the book. Uh, about basically optimism and, you know, right attitude, right, right perspective, and then tragedy struck his life. He threw the book away. Because what happened in his life couldn't be overcome by the book. There was no substance to the book, only thoughts. You see, whenever we believe the scripture, there is substance to our faith. The substance to our faith is Jesus Christ. And having an optimistic attitude because of our faith, that's entirely different than having an optimistic attitude that I believe everything's going to be okay. You know, when people, people who <laughs> don't believe in God and tragedy happens, don't worry, it'll be okay. Well, who's going to make it okay? Well, I don't know, the, the, the world, the forces of, of good in the world. No, our belief in God and what God tells us is going to make it okay. So is, optimi is, is optimism a positive thinker? Well, yes and no. Um, let's go on here. And optimism is, and I'll just kind of skip through some of these, the way you mentally examine the things that happen to you. How do you examine and review what happens in your life? Is it an optimism? Is it a fatalism? Is it a expectancy? Is it faith? Um, all good ideas, this optimism, but there is no need and there is no room for God. Unrealistic optimism. <laughs> okay, David and Goliath. Unrealistic optimism. I can take down the giant. Okay, here's a 15-year-old kid, perhaps, facing a 30-year-old giant of a man who is skilled in war and has killed perhaps thousands of people. Now, David going out there by himself and with an unrealistic optimism, I'm going to take you down. <laughs> and that's an unrealistic optimism. But David, by faith, knowing that Goliath has insulted the God that he serves and God has stirred a something inside of him that says, this can't be, you can take care of this guy. David takes out his sling, and, and I've been, you know, watching this archaeological stuff. Do you know some of the stones that they used were the size of baseballs? 
You know, they were the size of a baseball. Now, when David picked out three stones in the brook, they're thinking it's about, you know, a couple, you know, I don't know how many ounces, but it's, whenever that stone comes out of the sling, it's traveling at over 100, maybe 120 miles an hour. And if you have a stone coming at you 20 yards away at 120 miles an hour, it's going to make an impact. So what did David do? And, and they are able to hit the in, in, in objects at 40 yards. And they're able to take down a rabbit <laughs> at 40 yards with a sling. Now, that's pretty good. Well, David had already conquered the lion and the bear with a sling. I don't know what kind of rocks he had, but he, he took them down. Well, the challenge is, you see, when David takes on Goliath, that would be an unrealistic optimism, except for God. See, that's where we, in faith, differ from the um, optimism and skepticism and all, all those other things because we have our faith. And Hebrews 11.1 1 talks about how that faith is the substance. Faith is a substance. The substance of our faith is Jesus Christ. His word is what gives us that faith, that desire, that knowledge that God is going to help us. So an unrealistic expectation is um, somehow I'm going to make this work on my own or that God and I together can make a difference. Hmm. That's different. I know a pastor that gave up on God, he gave up on the church, and he gave up on pastoring, and he became a humanist. And, his, and humanism is that basically people are good. <laughs> and the, the focus of a humanist allows for the fulfillment of potential. So, but there's no understanding that sin, there's no basic sin. You just get rid of the idea of sin, and a humanist says people are basically good. If you treat them good, you will get good back. See, but that's, that's a good thing to do. Jesus says, love those who persecute you, pray for those, you know, do good unto those who despitefully use you. So the Bible is telling us, but a humanist doesn't see it that way. They see it that everything is perfect, everything's going to be good. Just go on. <laughs> I always liked, uh, we had a, Brother Mickle was a member of the church years ago. He would always say, don't confuse me with the facts, my mind's made up. <laughs> You know, so that's kind of a humanistic <laughs> re, uh, uh, um, look at the world. He was, he, was, he was being facetious whenever he said that. So, believing the Bible is faith. It is not, and we are allowed to have, be skeptic about certain things and how things are and f searching for the truth. We are allowed to be optimistic, but not to the point that we're the only ones that we're going to do this all on our own. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. So what becomes the foundation of faith? The substance of our faith is Jesus Christ and the word. You have the understanding of the resurrection, the, you know, the validity of it, the change that took place in people, the, you know, what happened the day after Pentecost, what happened to the church, how many thousands of people came to know Christ and believe in God 50 days after his crucifixion and resurrection. I mean, there's this tremendous surge of belief and power and change that came upon the world 
These are all historical arguments to the understanding that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And of course, the last one we have is Saul of Tarsus. And in Acts chapter 9, Saul breathing out threats and slanders and murders against the disciples of the Lord. He is going to take them down. He's, gonna, he's ripped families apart. He's, he's put them in the dungeon. He's had them killed. And he's on his way to Damascus. And what happens? Boom, he meets Jesus. The resurrected Jesus. His life is changed. The substance of things hoped for. Jesus changed his heart and his outlook. From this particular passage, we see that the um, central figure of faith is confidence or trust in Jesus. He is the object of our faith. By faith, verse 3 says, by faith we understand. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. By faith we understand. The Bible tells us to understand. Think about these things. Think on the things that are lovely, that are true, that are of a good report. <laughs> you know, uh, I was thinking of uh, um, people don't believe in crea creation. You know, creation. Okay. It would be like it just blew up and we have all these things taking place. Well, it's like taking the alphabet, making all the letters, you know, a thousand times the same letters, make them over a thousand times, going up on a 10-story building, throwing all those letters, those, num those letters out, out into the sky and have them fall down and they turn into a book. <laughs> Perfectly formed together. Well, that can't happen. Well, we're going to look at, we believe that there was a bang and everything blew up and we've got this perfect symmetrical universe. I like the joke where the guy, the scientists say, we can, we can make God. We can make man. They're telling God this. We can make man. And God says, okay. So they reach down to get the dirt and he says, get your own dirt. <laughs> Go make your own dirt. So in the creation, God beginning. In the beginning, God created. God created the heavens and the earth. By faith, we understand. Faith is the substance. You see, he created light, created the sky, created the land and sea and plants. The sun, the moon, and stars, creatures that live in the sea and that fly were created, animals that live on the land. And the seventh day, he rested. There was a comedian once that came on this you know, he was joking about God, and he says, can you imagine a God who has to rest? <laughs> he laughed at that. And it wasn't that God was tired. He set it up for us. He was doing this for us. Notice that the Bible focuses on God, not man. And in all of the mythologies and the um, gods of the Canaanites and all those Hittites, all of that focused on man. Because man was responsible to make the gods happy. Man was responsible to offer sacrifices to make the gods happy and appease them so they wouldn't, you know, that they would have, uh, the sun would come up in the morning. <laughs> you know, let's sacrifice to this god so the sun will come up in the morning. That we don't have uh, a, a problem, we need to sacrifice. And they sacrifice their children. The Canaanite gods, God said that they, they're abomination. God 
is proving that he loves us, not that we have to prove that we love him. (laughs) All that God has accomplished is for us. He created us that we would have this relationship with him. We broke the relationship. So what did God do? He provided the sacrifice himself so that our sins could be removed so that we could live with him. All the barriers would be broken down. And and, and, in the occult and all those other things, you have to sacrifice yourself for the God to prove how worthy you are and make the God happy. (laughs) The skeptic says there is no God. The optimist says there is no need for God. And the faith says, I believe in the written revelation of God. I believe that all scripture is is inspired by God. By grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's an act of God. (laughs) We exchange our sin for his righteousness. I mean, it's the complete opposite of these other uh, other philosophies and ideas. <laughs> what is the rule of faith in the Bible? It is an understanding that enforces the Bible as the inspired word of God. <laughs> you see, if the Bible is the inspired word of God and he has forgiven us of our sin, we, God, <laughs> has a moral claim on our life. But you see, if there is no God, there is no claim, there is no responsibility. I am here on my own to do as I please, and I can do whatever I want. But God is saying, no, there is an accountability. But live your life unto me and watch how I will work in and through your life. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. We find that our desire is to look at what God has provided for us. God has provided a way that we can come to him boldly as his child, enter into his presence, that we can have faith to believe that things are going to be different, things can change. (laughs) God can bless our life. God can move us through this life, opening doors, closing doors. God has a will and a purpose. And it's not to fate, and it's not to me making all the choices. It's to God and I together. God and I together living for him. Skepticism, optimism, faith. (laughs) We all need a portion of the skeptic. We're not blind to things as they are and what people say, whether for or against the scriptures. We do not understand why bad things happen to good people, but we do know this, God is with us. We do know that in the end we will be with God and life is eternal. So the optimists, <laughs> we need to have confidence. We need to be optimistic about what God is going to do in our life, David and Goliath. <laughs> we need to know that we can face the giants and that we can take them down with the help and power of God. Faith is an ongoing understanding of the substance of who Jesus Christ is and what he has come to accomplish in our life. (laughs) The skeptic, we need to try the spirits. Know what is the spirit of God. Know what is the spirit of, of Satan. Know what is our human spirit. 
Try the spirits and know them. So we are allowed to be skeptical of things, but not to the point that this skepticism rules out God. That optimism says, I have no need for God. We need to have these things. So which of, us, which of these are, are we? <laughs> How are we looking at our life? And what, with all the layers of our personality and our outlook on life and all the things that have happened to us have brought us to this point so how can we see God through the lenses that we now have? Let us see him for who he is. Let us see Jesus as the word made flesh and dwelling among us. Let us receive his spirit, the Holy Spirit into our life that will guide us into all truth and that the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ that will give us strength for today, hope for tomorrow, take us through the difficulties of life, even if we don't understand them, but know that it is the hand of God, not the hand of fate. Know that God created. He didn't allow things to just blow up and fall into place. God has given us his presence, his purpose, and his love. Let us receive it. Jesus, help us to receive your purpose by our confession of our sin. We acknowledge that we have failed. We need grace. We need forgiveness. We need your love. And as that forgiveness is ours, we now enter into this relationship with you, that you walk with us. We are your child. We believe you are the hope of our salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you for allowing, sending the Holy Spirit, one just like yourself, to work in our hearts and lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Amen.